guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about sex. Can you guess what we're talking about today? We're talking about sex, guys. We're talking about intimacy. We're talking about intimacy within a marriage, intimacy with our spouses. I have an extraordinary guest on today. I have a New York Times bestselling author, Mo Isom. I am so excited to have her on this podcast. Our conversation was incredible. It was healing and eye-opening for me on a personal level. We booked out an hour to talk and we got lost in it. I mean, deeply lost in our conversation. And she was so generous to give me an entire two hours of her time late, late, late into the night after putting her kids and my kids down to sleep. And she was just so generous. I know that she woke up the next morning likely figuring out how she was going to run her household with so little sleep. (laughs) So Mo, thank you. I just, I can't thank you enough. I'm so grateful for our conversation. I've already brought up our conversation multiple times in conversation with people and have already implemented some of the things that we talked about into my own marriage and, and living with intentionality with my, within my marriage. This conversation is based around Mo's book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversation the Church Forgot. And what I love about this book is that is it a, it's a book based in biblical beliefs talking about sex, which is so rarely talked about within religious circles. I come from a from a very secular background. I grew up in a place that truly the only people I knew that went to to church were my Catholic friends who went to cathedral and my Jewish friends who went to temple. But unless you were one of those two religions, you just didn't really go to church and you didn't talk about religion. And it wasn't really a thing that anyone actively did, at least not to my knowledge. And then I moved to college in the Bible Belt, and I saw a very, very Christian, prim and proper, don't discuss anything too serious (laughs) approach just to the conversation around sex. And I was able to kind of see both of these ideas, both of these approaches to the conversation, one of which, the secular version, was not really talking about it in a one-on-one manner, but was leaving it to culture and society to teach the children about sex. Um, Movies, TV shows, music, 
all of these things that really promote a graphic storyline of sex. And then turn it to college days and, and meeting some friends who were, who were born and raised here in the South with a, a more religious approach to the sexual conversation is that they weren't really having conversations about sex at all either. Their only conversations were that it was bad, it was sinful, it should be avoided. And what they were finding as they approached adulthood and they were getting married is that all of a sudden it was quote-unquote okay for them to have sex, yet their entire lives they were conditioned to believe that sex was sinful, sex was bad, they shouldn't have it, they shouldn't indulge in it. And then all of a sudden on one day, on their wedding day, they're supposed to flip their mindset around and say, oh, no, no, this is a good thing now. And that was a really hard transition to make. And so Mo dives into this. And what I love about Mo is that she takes her approach on sex and the conversation around sex straight out of biblical text. What does the Bible actually say about sex? And to my surprise, it actually says a lot. Now, I'll be honest, Mo is a, f- a wealth, a fountain of information. Through reading her book, I found probably, oh man, 10, 15 different topics that we could have taken and it would have lasted two hours in a podcast. Any one of these could have lasted two hours in a podcast episode. But what I really wanted to make sure I did was focus in on the things that I think we're going to apply the most to this community of, of wives and mothers. Because I think we, as, as wife, wives and mothers, we face a very unique challenge when it comes to sexual intimacy with our partners in that we have these backgrounds right you either have the secular background and culture taught you about sex or you have the the church back the traditional church background that um taught you that sex was a sin and you enter into a marriage that you're supposed to be able to celebrate with sex and You're navigating that through the early years of marriage. And then you have a child, right? We've all been here. And you're exhausted. Your mind is wrapped around the job of being a mother all day. You are likely getting overly stimulated by touch by your children. For those of us who carried and birthed children, our bodies have changed significantly. And all of a sudden, there's all these new challenges with being able to enter into a a healthy headspace for intimacy. And yet it is so vital that we find that again and that we are able to work our way into a healthy relationship with God and a healthy relationship with our husbands within this realm of intimacy so that our marriages can be healthy, that our foundations can be healthy to then raise our children and to live our lives within. Now, the cool thing about this conversation is it's going to apply to a lot more than just sex. In fact, as I was listening to Mo and I was having this conversation with her about sex and intimacy, I was taking so many notes on just things that I was reminded to implement into my marriage that I have fallen short on recently. And it's not even sexual things. It's not in, It's not necessarily 
um, in the realm of, of intimacy per se. It's in the it's in the realm of of just good relational marital health that I recognize in this conversation. Oh yeah, I used to do good, a good job at that, and I have totally dropped the ball here recently. And so, this is going to be a great conversation for anyone to to help strengthen the relationship they have with their heavenly Father, with their husbands, their spouses, and with their children. And, and one thing that Mo talks about in here is kind of the hierarchy of priorities in that our relationship with God needs to come first above all else. And then comes the relationship with our with our husbands and then the relationship with our children. And I one thing I, I really think I love about this is that I believe that part of being devoted to our relationship with God is also fully knowing and understanding and recognizing who we are and who he created us to be as daughters of him. What are the unique beauties that he gave us? What are the unique passions that he gave us? And really discovering that for ourselves within this relationship with him is that we discover not only him and a closeness and an intimacy with him, but who we are as individuals. From there, we are more prepared and in a healthy state of mind to then be fully who we can be, who we are, to be fully present, to be fully committed to the work of our marriage. Mo's written three books. Her first one is a New York Times bestseller called Wreck My Life. Her second book is Sex, Jesus, and the Conversation of the Church Forgotten. Her third one is coming out, and it is called Fully Known, An Invitation to True Intimacy with God. She is a wife. She is a mother. She is a speaker. She talks to huge audiences all over the country. She's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. And thankfully, due to this pandemic, for our sake in this community, she had some time to spare for us. So let's all get really excited to listen to Mo. This is a biblical view, a biblical take on sex and intimacy. And I think it's one that everyone is going to be able to pull a ton from. So Mo, thank you a ton again. Thank you so much for coming onto this podcast. Thank you for pouring into my life and pouring into the life of, of this whole More Than Mom community. And I'm really excited for you guys all to take a listen. start I mean um I let's start with just who you are what your background is obviously um you are a New York Times bestselling author which is pretty baller and on top of that you are a incredible athlete from LSU with soccer and uh that to me speaks volumes I actually just interviewed an athlete um a college athlete recently her episode came out today and there's always a connection of of understood drive and understood uh chase of excellence in whatever fields you're in when you talk to a a fellow college athlete. So I always, I always appreciate that and respect that. But if you can give a little bit of your background and what you're doing and what your family is and all that stuff, it'd be great. 
Sure. I should initially insert a strong was. I was an excellent college athlete. I recently walked a hill this afternoon in my neighborhood and I was reminded I'm not any longer an excellent athlete. Uh, No, I was, um, yeah, I played soccer at LSU. Uh, Was there from 2008 to 2012. I actually spent a fifth year, my fifth year of eligibility, uh, training with the men's football team as well as a place kicker. Um, so really stretched that athletic college time as far as I could out, uh, out of grave fear of entering the real world. But it was amazing. After my time at LSU, um, I moved back home to the Atlanta area and pretty shortly after met my now husband, Jeremiah. We, goodness, met and kind of never looked back, dated for a while, engaged, married, uh, and now have been married a little over five years and have a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and an 11-month-old to show for it. Um, and yeah, we live just outside the Atlanta area. We get to travel um, the country as well as internationally, just ministering, sharing the gospel, teaching the word, um, writing books as well. I have written, um, yeah, Wreck My Life was my first. My second was Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. Uh, a third that is coming out next year is called Fully Known, an invitation to true intimacy with God. And I guess we kind of consider it like a communication ministry. I mean, right now in this season, so much of it is digital and um, mm-hmm. just reaching wh- whosoever God would would bring across our path with just the raw, real, deep, harder, avoided conversations. Um, My favorite kind. It, yeah, exactly. That, that really invite the gospel to actually do something powerful because it's no longer safe or comfortable or easy. It's, it's really exploring the fullness of what it means to truly know and be known by, by Christ. And so I should add, we consider ourselves like a multi-generational family team on mission together. We're kind of all on board with all of this. We try to travel together when we can and uh, make it all kind of function and flow as a unit. I really believe that uh, even at four and two and 11 months, so important to instill in our children how, how important they are to the, mm-hmm. the mission our family is on. So that's dynamic and fun and involves a lot of poop and a lot of smeared things on my glass office, <laughs> like windows and um, a lot of beautiful craziness of somehow figuring out how to blend like the amazing, prophetic, powerful calling of God on your life with also laundry. And <laughs> it's yeah, like, sure. It's so beautiful and dynamic and rich, and we wouldn't have it any other way. But um, yeah, I guess kind of faith-wise, the backstory there, I was, I was raised up in the church, um, very much a cultural Christian, kind of could have told you a lot about God, had no clue who God actually was personally right. in my own life, uh, endured really a lot of adversity in a very short amount of time um, from just identity issues, self-harm, eating disorder all through high school kind of crawled out of that to a degree, but I'm off at college, you know, excelling an all-American freshman, you know, goalkeeper, just having this amazing season. And I come home and my dad puts a gun to his heart and pulls the trigger. So suicide enters the story. Uh, About a year after that, I'm struggling with depression, promiscuity, broken, I mean, anxiety, you name it. And was then in a horrific car accident that (laughs) broke my neck, ribs, damaged lungs, liver, face, jaw, I mean, just a mess. Um, just adversity after adversity after adversity. But it was actually in that wreckage. It was in that car accident that the spirit of the living God entered in and 
completely captured my heart in a way I had never known before. Very raw, very bold, very real encounter with, with God and a very real download of the offensive and radical and powerful gospel that for so much of my life had just been like in one ear out the other, like mm -hmm. sitting in a church pew, like a skeleton, just uh, dead. But suddenly it was very, very personal, very real and very intimate. And it changed everything. I chose Christ in that moment and have, have certainly known hills and valleys and certainly storms and, you know, successes since then, but have never, have never once doubted or looked back or wondered if that was the right choice. Have just really walked in a pretty dynamic walk with him that ultimately has been like drinking life through a fire hose. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot to really follow Jesus. Like, really die to yourself, really pick up your cross, yeah. and carry it. like really live boldly on mission for him. But it's been so beautiful. He's yielded such incredible fruit and um, he's teaching, teaching us every single day so yeah. much. Like That's where you look amazing. back for like a week ago and you're like, I knew nothing. <laughs> and you look back a year ago and you're like, I was a peasant. I really knew nothing. Uh, yeah. Like just such a learning curve with him. It's such a, such a cool walk life to follow Christ. I love that. I'm, I'm really excited to just honestly absorb a ton from you today. Cause I actually think had I played a different sport, we would have crossed paths a lot sooner because our college years overlap. Oh, um, nice. And then on top of that, we got married. We're coming up on our six year anniversary Yay. right now. And we have a four and a two year old. So we have walked a pretty parallel, uh, parallel walk right now, but wow. The big difference um, I grew up very secular. I, mm. my, my parent, I mean, my mom would certainly say she's always been like a Christian. I think we claimed being Methodist growing up, mm -hmm. but like I could count on two hands and the number of times I went into a church. Yeah. Um, wow. the community that we lived in, it was in Arizona and the area of Arizona that we lived in was very like mini California. It was very, um, no one really talked about religion. Yeah, the yeah. only people I knew that went to church were um, my Jewish friends and my Catholic friends, mm -hmm. but literally no one else. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and so it wasn't even a conversation. I remember moving to Nashville for college, and just hearing people say, like, "Drop God in conversation," even in ways that, when you are a believer and you are a follower, you don't even mean to it for it to sound religious. Like, if you're just like, "Oh, Amen." Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or praise God, like, oh yeah, praise God for that. I would be like, whoa, 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 oh let me bring God into this. This is, uh, it's a little intense. Yeah. So it was like a huge <laughs> growth thing for me. And there was a very small, um, part right after I verbally committed to Belmont that I had a opportunity to possibly be recruited by Florida. And so mm. that would have taken me over there. But at that point I had found Belmont for its degree in music business, which I'm no longer in. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, no, I don't even care about South. I want to go there to get that degree. So I was like, no, no, no. And I went to Belmont and I always thought I would go to this big public party school, yeah. similar to something like Florida. Yeah. And I then wound up at this tiny little private Christian college. And I was like, mm -hmm. what the heck? 
do I do here? So I was like, well, I might as well figure out what the heck religion is yeah. while, while we're here. And that's really, I started to like try out different churches and just kind of see what I thought. Cause I remember as a kid in my bed at night, like when I was really little mm-hmm. going to sleep and wanting like the whole God thing to be real, but being mm-hmm. terrified that it wasn't. Oh, wow. And so I, I wanted that part of my life, but I just didn't know if I bought in. Right. And so right. I started to explore it at that point. Um, ultimately found ourselves at Cross Point, which is um, Annie's church. Yeah. And we've been there ever since. And since then, my, both my husband and I have both become followers of, of, of Christ. And um, it's been really, really cool. We actually have a very redeeming story in our marriage with that. We ended up being baptized on the same day. Wow. even though our walks were completely on different timelines. Like I started 2010 and he didn't start to like probably like 2017 or so. Wow. wow. Um, and it was really, really, really cool. But I, that's how I just ended up discovering you is because, you know, we know Annie through our church and mm-hmm. listened to the That Sounds Fun podcast and you were on there. Yes. So yeah, um, that's, that's where I discovered you. And I discovered Sex Jesus in the conversation that church forgot. Mm. And was immediately like, this is fascinating because I have been on both, I have witnessed both sides of the sex conversation Mm -hmm. and have seen the damage it can do on both ends. Right. Um, Right. And then I was just kind of always in the middle going, oh, well, like, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a toss up. So I'm really, I'm, I'm excited for this conversation. Like I just, I'm just like you, I'm the person that's always having the hard conversations with my friends. I want to talk about real things. I want to talk about honest things. Um, I want us to grow and deepen and all of that stuff. I want us to help each other get better marriages and better friendships. Um, but I do not, I mean, still to this day, I, I'm still learning so much about the Bible and what it says. So yeah, this is yeah. going to be like, this is going to be a full on teaching for me right now, which is going to be really exciting. Oh boy. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's I, kind of, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, 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 you, you. Well, I was just going to say, it's kind of interesting. I never, um, never in a million years would have assumed any area of my life would have been in sex ministry. <laughs> I was just, that was going to be my next question. What the heck got you talking about sex? Cause that's a brave right. topic to take on. Yeah. It's so interesting. Uh, it's truly that he directs our steps, that he knows his intent, his purposes, his will for our days. And really even sitting in this moment right now, you and I don't even really know the fullness of what's ahead. He, he gives knowledge and insight and, you know, vision, but, um, it's been really interesting just like I think a Galatians 525 live by the spirit stay in step with the spirit and when I came to know Christ personally it looked so much different than quote-unquote religion like I I'd come up in that but there was something very different to me about this personal radical revelation of my sin, repentance of my sin and reception of his Holy Spirit. It was like this emboldening, this, this power, this presence. I had never even come close to touching before. And what became really real for me very quickly in the process of following Christ was the fact that what does the scripture say? Like 
that the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Like he is always speaking. He is always um, in the business of communicating with us. But it was like, it was like when I first came to belief instantly, um, for whatever reason, he made my eyes and my ears very sensitive. Like I couldn't look at the same thing. I wasn't entertained by the same stuff anymore visually. I wasn't able to listen to the same music anymore. I seemed like that crazy Christian girl that was like, I can't do that. Like I, I suddenly became very sensitive visually and audibly. And what was beautiful and then not fighting that, not being like, oh, I don't want to look like the one who's way different, but just like leaning in, like, God, you are clearly doing something here in my heart. So I'm just going to roll with it. Like, I'm just going to obey and abide. And in starting to be really discerning on what I was watching, what I was listening to, what I was filling my mind with, the more I walked and yielded to that and obedience to that, the clearer and clearer I could hear his voice. Like, in my spirit, I would suddenly just be like a word of knowledge just dropped or it's everything scripture says. It's almost hard to put words to. He leads us in the way we should go. And you just have a knowing or you, you, you you have a vision around something, you know, where you just suddenly are like, there is something very different guiding. And so I say all that to say, when I wrote my first book, when I started to write my testimony of brokenness, like I said, the eating disorder, the self-harm, the suicide, the promiscuity, like the depression, the anxiety, then this moment of coming to know Christ and everything changing, like everything shifted in my life as a result. I'm sharing my testimony with almost these layers of it that I think are more palatable for people. Like we'll, we'll talk about suicide. We'll talk about depression. We'll talk about like, they're hard, but we'll talk about them. So I'm like sharing my testimony with all of these elements. But then I realized, um, actually, as I was fleshing out my first book, oh, there is this whole layer of my life as well, of my testimony as well, that is my sexual testimony, like that is the narrative of sex and sexuality and my identity and my worth and um, a lot of things I was tied up in and enslaved by and confused and wounded by that, that perfectly mirrors the same arc of my elevator pitch testimony, like the stuff you can say and not feel like you want to go hide under a rock. So I'm like, I can't just possibly shove this into one chapter of my book. Like this is actually a lot. And it perfectly parallels confused, lost, broken, wounded, came to know Christ, everything changed. And so I I wrote out, you know, my first book, my the story and I touched on it, but I really just began to pray like, God, what are you doing? Cause you won't let this escape my spirit. Like this feels important. This is big and it's a lot. And there are a lot of people that have to be navigating these same questions, these same frustrations, these same confusions, like the hunger for this conversation. Um, and it just stayed with me. And then I remember one day I was in my kitchen um, and it was like, I couldn't even grab a piece of scrap paper fast enough. He just like, just downloaded sex, Jesus, the conversations the church forgot topic, 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 topic. Like he just laid out the whole framework of what he wanted me to, to speak into. And I remember not long before that I had come across this viral blog post, um, just a short while before that this girl had shared how she waited until she was married to have sex and she completely regretted her decision. 
Hmm. And I remember reading that and grieving so deeply because it was going viral like crazy to believers and non-believers alike. And ultimately out of her own wounds and pain of all the same things that I had been wounded and hurt by, the lack of conversation, the lack of understanding, the lack of knowing what God had to say about it, the false expectations. Oh, suddenly I'm going to stand at the altar and thank goodness all this baggage can be gone and a new baby. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm weeping on my honeymoon because I have so much baggage. Like, I'm like all of this that she's sharing from a wounded place. Like this really hurts my heart for the glory of God. Like that it is not being communicated rightly. And that there are a lot of wounded people rallying here saying, getting behind a message that's just further and further from his heart. And so when he like downloaded that, there was this real wrestling match for me. And I think a lot of times as believers, we get kind of self-preservative when we look at what he's asking of us or what he's calling of us. Because if I looked at what he laid out in that outline of you need to speak about your addiction to pornography, you need to speak about your promiscuity, you need to speak about the adulterous relationship you were involved in drunkenly in college, you are going to unpack da 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 If I had looked at that and just thought, for my own sake, for my own story, for my own reputation, there's no chance I would have written that book. Right. <laughs> it was terrifying. But because he had equally stirred this revelation, this tension of there are a lot of people out there who are being deceived and who are hurting and who are confused and who need a voice to rise up in this area to start the conversation, to to look purely to my word, to share truth, to unpack, to share testimony, to let them know they're not alone, but there is healing, there is hope, there is freedom, there is truth. Like there was such a pull of my heart of like, I was telling someone earlier, it was kind of like, kind of felt like Esther, like if I die, I die. Like (laughs) my mom's going to kill me if I write all this stuff. Like this could absolutely annihilate me or we could come boldly and, and petition for the people of God and share truth. And we could see captives set free and we could see those who were going to be demolished by the enemy come to know hope and healing and truth. And so that was a lot to say it. I never intended in 10 million years <laughs> for ministry to take this turn down this lane of like sexual understanding and God's design of sex and the restoration of right nature into any of these things. But when he speaks to us, if we know the voice of that good shepherd and he's always speaking and if we'll listen and if we'll receive it and if we'll wrestle with what he drops in our hands and if we won't just reject because it seems hard or seems scary or seems like too much, or this can take any number of different fashions or forms, not just writing a book. It's all the unique and sacrificial and scary and raw things that we're called to that make us a very peculiar set apart people. Like the word says, like if we would not just reject them for the sake of our comfort, if we would actually receive them and live out what God is calling of us in obedience. Oh man, the kingdom come that we'll experience is wild. 
Like I was so scared to release that, to go this, this route. And it has been, I don't even want to think what ministry would be like if we hadn't. Yeah. Like, well, it's funny. I I was thinking about this because your, your New York times bestseller is, um, with your first book, Wreck My Life. Right. And yet you release a book about sex and like, that's what everyone wants to talk about. You're like, oh, you yeah. want to talk about sex? Cool. Like let's, let's dive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> well, that was, well, this is just like, I think how God kind of works. It's kind of cool. So Wreck My Life was like this cool anomaly. It was, it made New York Times as number 11 in the sports category because it got categorized as like a sports book because it had a lot of my soccer stuff in it. And it, it only sold a fraction of what Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations of Church Forgot sold. But like, for whatever reason, the timing was just right. There were like no other sports book. I think the New York Times people were like, okay, <laughs> put this one on the list. Like, no, it's a great, it's, I love, I love the book. But it's interesting to see, we so like look to the worldly stuff to quantify the reach or the success or the depth of something so different in the kingdom economy. Like, very cool that God allowed that to be what it was, I think, honestly, to build a platform for right. what more would come. But yeah, far more people hungered and have gravitated towards and have found, you know, truth and cultivation of conversation and healing and wholeness from, from sex and Jesus and from kind of the ministry that's grown off of that. But yeah, I'm like, I'm like, thanks for the, for the NY times. Like, <laughs> Take that accolade. Somehow <laughs> success because then people start taking you seriously, even though sure. it sold nothing. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, not nothing. But it, I'm going to start writing books in random categories. Just random. Just write a gardening book and just take that NY Times title and run with it. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I, I fully get what you're talking about, about him just out of nowhere, just planting something in yeah. you because I always say the same thing. I don't, I don't lead with me being like, I'm a Christian and I'm a Christian, but I do say I have, I prioritize my, my relationship with God. Like I have right. a relationship with God. And like, that is, I don't know what that technically classifies as. I don't know all mm-hmm. the ins and outs yet. Like I'm not that well versed yet, but I have a relationship with God. Mm-hmm. And in growing that relationship, becoming really, really um, reliant on him and, and consistent with him it was a year ago, March, after months of prayer about it, where I was just sitting in my bed and it was like, like you said, like, just like the download of, he just said, pursue the heart of mothers. Mm. And I was like, I don't know what that means. I've never heard those words put together before, but that's yeah. a random thing to pop in my head. And then from there, it was like, like you said, just the whole outline of like, here's all your subcategories. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> here's how to do it. We get so we get so burnt out as believers because we think we have to drum these amazing kingdom come ideas and concepts and marketability and follower and da, 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 da. we think we have to do this in our own power. But he literally says like works of the flesh on our own power are like menstrual rags. That's what the word says, like filthy rags. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually if we'll just spend time with God, if we'll just spend time in his word, like you said, just soaked in prayer when he intends by his will by his design it's not it's not this dragged out uninspired 
tapped out, burnt out Christian life of trying to do the next big thing, he will literally just, he'll just speak. Yeah. And it will be so much, we can't even write it all down. Like, I think yeah. that's the difference we can know is, as followers, as goodness, all the different roles and hats that we wear. Like, he didn't intend for us to live burnt out and, and strung thin and grasping for straws. He intended us to know him and be known by him and live in step with him and seek him in his heart and his face. And when we do that, he truly, uh, it's like all of these things, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all of these things will be added to you. He'll move, he'll speak, he'll inspire. And suddenly life actually becomes enjoyable to live versus burnt out. Like, right. it's exactly like you said, he just downloads and it's, it's interesting. You know, different journeys take different routes at different times, but I have found that to be very consistent and sure that he'll, he'll give what he intends and it's awesome. Yeah. I just keep leaning into that for sure. And, and this whole journey and he just keeps sending little messages of like, oh, here's a blessing that I, that I couldn't have done on my yeah. own. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I find that even in parenting, like even in momming, just in those moments, like living in step with him, the beauty is it's not like you have to reserve this one spot in your house that you go to pray to him. Like it's the regular communal, sure. like for me, borderline schizophrenic, like always talking to him in my mind <laughs> that even in these really tense or hard moments of parenting or a question that my daughter asked that I want to be truthful on, but how on earth do I package that? And the answer, mm -hmm. here's a word of knowledge. Like, and it's so beautiful. I think when we just yield and are constantly remaining in conversation and in communion with him, even in the stuff like momming, he'll, yeah. he'll lead and guide. And it's, it's cool to get those deposits that we know, like, oh, I wasn't smart enough to think that up on my own. That's really right. good. Yeah. That was really good. I'm humble <laughs> enough to know that about myself. Yeah, yeah. That's my, like, MO. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, here's what I, when I was preparing for this conversation, was my real task, is that I know for a fact that me and you could have a really solid conversation about porn. We could have mm -hmm. a really solid conversation about purity. We could have a really solid conversation about a lot of things yeah. that all fall under this category of, of sex. Mm -hmm. What I want to make sure that I do a good job of is that I, I help us to focus on the things that I think are going to help women and mothers and wives the most in this stage of their yeah. lives. And I associate with many moms and wives because that's, that's who I hang out with. <laughs> and one thing I feel like seems to be pretty true across the board is that us wives and mothers are struggling in the sexual intimacy with our husbands. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of facets of that. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think, yeah. um, as I'm sure, you know, like there's a lot of layers to why that is, but it's yeah. a, it's, struggle that I hear over and over and over from almost every single person I talk to about it. And it's heartbreaking because that's not what God created it for. Right. Um, but there's so much misconception around how it's taught, our mindsets about it, um, maybe shame of our sexual past that we're carrying, maybe. Yeah. Um, so there's like the, there's like the, the lack of understanding of what sex is on one side that you become yeah. very reserved 
Right. Then there's the sexual sin and shame on the other side Mm -hmm. that you bring guilt about and shame about. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also the whole idea of when you have a kid, everything that you have ever known about your body is no longer the same. Yeah. (laughs) And so like, for me, I can say my whole life, my favorite body part that I had was my breasts. Mm. I was, I was like, I have some really good looking boobs. And I was like, (laughs) yes, love these. Then you never had a baby. (laughs) And then I had two kids and nursed them. And I was like, huh, can't hang my hat on that anymore. (laughs) I feel you. I feel you completely on that one. And, and so it's, we are, our mindsets have to shift and our, and our approach has to shift and we have to kind of recalibrate ourselves Mm -hmm. to be able to mother all day and be touched by boogers and poop and peanut butter and all the things all day long and mother kids and then shift to with our husbands all of a sudden feeling sexy again. Right. And I feel like it's so it's such a a, a, a tangled mess of how yeah. to kind of navigate that. Mm-hmm. And on top of all of it, no one has a clue as to what the Bible actually says about sex. Right. <laughs> that was right. my number one thing when I read your book is I had no idea the Bible talked about sex that much. Right. All throughout, all throughout the word. Yeah, yeah it's um, so I think even to begin to touch into the different directions, um, some of our struggles or some of our questions or very real areas that we're, we're trying to navigate, but go, we have to um, start by building a really sure and solid foundation. And um, I guess, you know, for the sake of a podcast goodness you could you could write whole books from even just the angle of women and mothers and wives but at the at the base foundation what we have to know um in the simplest way i can summarize is that uh sex is god's invention i would take it even a step further back to say that we are image bearing creations of god both man and woman alike, uniquely, powerfully, individually, the the manifestation of God into the physical. It says made in his likeness. We are made in his image. And so as he made man, he he stamped character traits, um, qualities, beautiful revelation in the physical of what he is like into man. And it was good. And as he formed woman, unique, beautiful, powerful manifestation of who he is was then formed into the very inherent nature and being of woman. And so both man and woman equally and powerfully made in his image and complementary when we come together really seeing more of the fullness of God's heart as both you know leader authority we see God the father as um beautiful support 
caregiver. We see in, um, in the way the Holy Spirit tends to a sacrificial that we see in Christ, humility that we see in Christ, strength and tenderness. Um, you know, goodness, the, the disciplinarian and the comforter. Like we see these dynamic features come together when we look at man and woman, and especially as we see them unified in marriage, we come together to look a little bit more like a fuller picture of Christ. Um, and so that's beautiful. And that prophesies God to the world. Like our marriages are really important. Our identity uniquely as man, uniquely as woman, they are important that we understand and that we live in rightly because we're reflecting God's nature in beautiful and powerful ways to the world. Then in marriage, this coming together, this oneness that we would become one flesh, this is even more of a picture of who God is to a world that needs to know the right picture of who God is. So I, I go back to say he also then uh, created sex, a gift from God, a unifying gift, a tangler of souls as this, again, goodness, I could go into such incredible depth, read the third book that's about to come out next year, but as this beautiful prophetic picture of two becoming one, just as we individually are to come together and become one with Christ, this is the gospel. And that bears good fruit, that multiplies works born of his spirit. Intimacy with one another is the very thing that, that paints the picture of, of intimacy with God. And it's weird. We don't always think about it this way. It's very disorienting if we're hearing this and we're like, what does that mean? Don't link sex and faith into the same conversation. No, he's yeah. the creator of systems of process. Scriptures say the whole earth sings of his glory. If no one else said a word, even the rocks would cry out. Everything Thing that we see in the physical. Um, he is designed so as to, in some beautiful and unique way, show his nature, his way, his design. And so we can see this in man and woman. We can see this in sex and coming together. We can understand this is a unifying gift. It's a tangler of souls. It's a powerful, powerful, covenantal, sanctifying expression a vulnerable, raw, honest, exposed, endearing, abiding love for one another. And this is how God loves us. He sees us in the fullness of who we are. Like he sees us in the mess of our sin or our stretch marks and our saggingness and all that we are. And he sees us in this state and where we want to hide under the covers, where we want to turn off the lights, where we don't want him to see our sin, our past, our shit, any of these things. It's his love that actually um, delights in us. His love that, that as we draw near to him draws near to us. It's like his love transforms our heart. His love sees all of our sin, all of our mess, and somehow stays. And that can't change the sin of our past. But it certainly changes and transforms the state of our heart. 
and our future as we live forward. And this is what we see between man and woman, between husband and wife. We stand before each other in every single season of changing bodies, of changing shape, of struggle, of tension, of success, of glory. And we stand before one another naked and exposed and raw and vulnerable. And I mean this in the physical, emotional, spiritual, like all the different layers. And yet we come together in love and remind one another, you are mine and I am yours and I love you and I'm with you and I'm for you. And this rhythmic intimacy is the very thing that he always intended would teach us, remind us, show us his rhythmic intimacy with us, that he loves us, that he's with us, that he's sanctifying us, that he's walking with us, that this oneness, this unity of the gospel is transformational to our hearts. And so what's beautiful about that is that we can look at sex in God's design and see, wow, this is actually a good thing. In the right covenantal model, right-natured intimacy, wow, this is powerful. Like this actually is a weapon against the enemy who wants nothing more than to come and steal, kill, and destroy. Who wants nothing more than to see covenantal bond broken and divorced. Who wants nothing more than to see pain, power struggles, withholding from one another, trying to play the power card by when you can have it, when you can't. Like he wants nothing more than division, separation, and tension and actually yielding to one another, not denying one another, prioritizing one another is a very weapon against him to say, know your place, it, like to the enemy, not to your husband. <laughs> know your place, like we are one. I remember, I think I wrote about this in the book, but I, I heard of this story of this husband and wife who lost their young child. They're like two-year-old, died unexpectedly. And they talked about the first thing they did and finding out the news. One of the first things they did is they came together and had sex. And I was like, that's very weird. That's extremely disturbing. <laughs> but they went on to explain, no, see, this was a moment in our lives that was going to change our lives. And we needed to first and foremost, remind one another, you are mine and I am yours. We are a team. We are unified. We are one in this. We also needed to remind God, like an act of worship before God, to say, we're in this together, and you are who we um, come under, and we trust you, and we love you, and we are like strengthening this bond in this moment, and we needed to remind the enemy, get a life. Like, you will not divide us through this trauma. You won't divide us through this brokenness, and man, when I started to see it that way, I'm like, whoa, so this is a lot more than just like, can we get two times in a week? Like, what's the right rhythm right. for our age and season of life? Like, there is some How many deep... times a week is too little? <laughs> right, yeah. How many, if I denied for two weeks straight, can I? Like, <laughs> I started to just see, whoa, this is really powerful. And this is so beautiful in the right context. And wow, where this is a weapon against the enemy in the right context, in the wrong context, it's like a sword he takes from our own hands and stabs us with. Like it's a weapon in the enemy's hands when right. we're out of God's design. And, you know, that can look like pre-marriage and all the struggle and all of the baggage <laughs> developing brokenness that we navigate. But it can also look like within marriage, um, allowing 
so many things to keep us apart from each other. And so I say all of that to say, man, when we start to understand even the surface level of like, the word speaks a lot about this. It actually gives very specific instruction, even of how to honor one another of this. And we always, people are always like, well, it just says wives submit to your husbands. And what does that mean? That's so oppressive. No, it actually also goes on to say, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ like died. He was crucified on the cross for a church. So I feel like that's actually the greater call <laughs> that the man is called to the place of Christ, of honoring, of loving, of caring for, of giving his life for the church, for his bride. And the beautiful invitation for us is that we come under that in full trust, in surrender, in right-natured love of saying, I trust you, I'm with you, I'm for you, and rhythmically prioritizing one another. And this changes everything. Like when we understand the foundational pieces of this is more than just a physical act. Like this is deep and real and rich and given to us by God and can be damaging or can be transformational if handled rightly. We start to walk with a little more clarity and we start to prioritize, prioritize things a little um, more clearly. And so I think... Sorry, I'm very long-winded, but you're good. I was, I'm, looks, I'm just soaking this all in right now. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's again, it's scratching the surface, and I'm sorry if I, you know, seem to dive deep and then come up, and maybe I'm losing people along the way. But I would say, extraordinarily simply, something that really began to transform things in my life and my heart and that I have to remember very frequently was the actual model of priority that is what God values, which is first, it looks very different from what the world says. It looks very different from what our flesh often wants. It looks very different from like what all of our friends are talking about over wine every night, like no offense um, to those drinking wine while listening to this podcast. I just mean it looks like very different than the cultural conversation it's so easy to get pulled into and then our lives just start to look like it of like, oh, my kid. Like our language is so important and how we're speaking to one another is so important because it just takes a couple to come together and start to kind of move all of their lives in the same direction in dialogue of oh, so exhausted at the end of the day. You know, it's like kind of just a rhythm of how we communicate about yes. things. But God very simply one day was like, first and foremost, the most important priority is your intimate relationship with me, with God. You, anyone listening, me, like that comes before all. I think often of the Mary and Martha story with Jesus and, you know, Martha's busy. She's doing, she's got a lot to do. She's, she's earnest hearted. She's trying to prepare right. a place for Jesus. Like I feel for Martha. I'm such a Martha. Right. I was like, she's literally all of us as well. She's literally all of us. Yeah. And Jesus loves her. Like we hear this narrative a lot. And my friend brought this up the other day. She's like, we give Martha such a bad rap as if Jesus was like, get a life, Martha. He wasn't, he loved her. He loved her. But what exchange happened in that moment was she wants him to, to rebuke Mary for just sitting at his feet. And what he says to her is that 
there is anything to be concerned about, Mary has found it and it won't be taken from her. And what I began to realize was so often my narrative is like, okay, how do I fit God in with my life? Like, how do I fit in time in the word or time in prayer with my life? How do I make a spot for that? Right. And he's like, your question is wrong. Your question should be, how do you fit in life in light of how much time, intimacy, depth you spend with me? He actually says in that passage of Mary and Martha, there is something to be stressed about in this life. There is something to be concerned about. And that is what Mary had found because that can't be taken from her. That has to be for us. If we're going to concern, stress, worry about anything, let it be that our first priority was with him and, and that that was our deepest concern. I need to be in the presence of God. Because when we get that right, we start to digest his word. We start to commune with his spirit and see, oh, the next tier here in marriage and in family is my relationship with my husband. Mm -hmm. Because we are the married unit. We are the leaders, my husband, myself under him. Like this marriage, if this is off, everything else falls apart. Well, first off, if our intimacy with God is off, everything else falls apart. Right. But then the tear under that, if, if things are off in the marriage, it doesn't matter how much we idolized our children and did everything we could and bent over backwards and broke our backs to serve them. Like they're going to see us fighting with our spouse and that's all a wash. It's a front. If they see our hearts come out and it looks like tension and brokenness and pain and confusion in the home. And so the marriage piece is such an important priority. And a big part of that is sexual intimacy. It is coming together rhythmically and regularly. It's speaking life to one another. It's encouraging one another. It's building up our spouse when they are worn out and run thin. It's, it's serving our husband's needs. It's him serving ours of connection. It's the beautiful exchange of you're my priority. And when we get this right, it's like wild how much everything else below that on the totem pole kind of comes into place. Under that then is our role as a mother of children, as caring for children. And I'm not saying lock your kid out and be with your husband and your kid needs to eat. Like, I'm not saying be irresponsible. I'm saying in our hearts, know the priority structure know where our identity lies, first and foremost, a daughter of the most high God, then as the wife role in this marriage, then as the mother role, then below that, what our job is or our tasks are, or our passions are, like all that falls underneath. I love that because I feel like the trap that so many moms fall into, in fact, I think at, at one point or another, every single mom falls into the trap of of putting her whole identity in the role of motherhood. Right. And right. I think that largely starts because in the beginning, they literally need you to survive and like they Every need second. you at all times. Yeah. Yeah. You have totally. to be completely selfless. And, and it just, once, once they start to get a little bit more independent, you don't even mm. remember what it's like to reclaim your yeah. identity outside of that anymore. Yeah. It's so true. I love the way that you're laying it out. And I've, I've always known that priority list 
Um, but I've never stopped to actually think about where motherhood falls into that mm-hmm. and, and how to lay out our lives. And I love the way you phrase it of saying how I fit life in with my relationship with God. Yeah. And yeah. That's so key in your approach to all of this. I mean, to, to intimacy in every area of your life with friendships, right. with your children, with your husband, with God. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm curious now listening to this. I, I remember I, I actually might have been your episode with Annie. That was my first thought of this. It might have been, cause I don't know where else it would have been from. Cause not a lot of people are talking about sex. Um, mm. Is <laughs> the idea that you can pray for your sex life was like, Oh a, my goodness. <laughs> like I was like, Oh, <laughs> Oh, this huge <laughs> element of my life, I can bring it to the Lord. Well, this is what, so everything you just said is so, it's so true. Like seasons of life are genuinely dynamic and changing, evolving. Like you said, the newborn season of life, young children, it's so high demand. I hope no one would hear my words and think, well, great for her. (laughs) She's figured out this totem pole. No, it's real. It's dynamic. There are very real multiple layers of many things at play all at once. What's important is remembering that priority structure and coming back to it consistently because that's how, that's our power source. Like that's how everything else is fueled. And it's very easy for stuff to get out of order. So kind of living in this rhythmic return to God's way, return to the trust, like return to the right priorities really, really helps and really helps us then understand, okay, if my, if my, prioritization of intimacy with God and my prioritization of my marriage are are at the top here, then, then I come to see that these things aren't like exclusive from one another. Um, They're, they're very intertwined at like kind of the core of my identity here. And so, yeah, I can bring this to the father. And in fact, I'm to discuss this and pray over these things with my husband as well. Mm-hmm. Like if we have an intimate prayer life with God at the top of our priority list, um, intimate conversation with our husband at the next part of our priority list will kind of naturally, I think, take shape. Um, and it, it, it has to. This communication with our spouse that's real and vulnerable and open and honest, especially in dynamic seasons, it helps in our marriage when I tell Jeremiah at the end of the day, I'm not just rolling over, falling asleep on him when he, he is, you know, obviously wanting to cultivate things. But when I truly am tapped out seasonally <laughs> and I can turn to him and say, baby, I love you so much. I right now truly am exhausted. It was a really hard day for me. And I know that you have needs as well. And I want nothing more than to honor you. But can we talk about maybe could this be tomorrow morning? Or could this be, you know, like even just cultivating that really simple conversation and just honoring them with our words, honoring them um, with conversation and allowing it to be cultivated in return is, is so helpful. And 
for many who are listening, who are like, that's 10 miles from where we are right now. Yes. Like even <laughs> that conversation with my husband, like we need to be equally yoked in our understanding. Like that's so far. Then it begins in conversation with your heavenly father to say, God, I'm in, I'm like pressed. This is really hard season. I'm tapped out. I don't want to be touched, but I know your ways are good. And you call me to honor my husband. I need your help. I need you to minister to me. I need you to speak to me. I need you to help me remember priorities when they're really hard to see clearly. I need you to, man, break off this shame that I feel. Break off the insecurity that I feel. Why am I dreaming about this past partner from college when I'm laying next to the husband that I love? God, you, by the blood of Jesus, need to, to break this off of me spiritually like there's so many and i like can guarantee that there are a number of people listening who just like chills that someone would acknowledge the sexual layer that even enters into our dreams and into our sleep and the depths of the fact that no one talks about that but these are all the areas that man we are to cultivate right natured intimacy and conversation with our spouse um but also right-natured intimacy and conversation with our heavenly father about all of these things and how they play out and how um, he can heal us and break things off and minister to us and help us because when those like those things are at work it's a long journey it's a sanctifying process it's a marathon we're in a marriage here but we start moving in a direction that we're like whoa I'm seeing like breakthrough. Like I'm, this is like, there's some stuff shifting here. This is helping my husband and the whole like feel in our home has changed. You know, it's just, you got to start somewhere. And so So, coming to family father about stuff is a big one. Here's the question I'm going to ask. And I, because of my own need for actionable control, (laughs) I'm scared (laughs) of the answer. Uh oh. Okay, then I'll be really um, blind. Okay, so I, I never wanna I never want to discount the power of prayer. It right. has one hundred percent changed my life from being married to a man who was not of faith, who did not yeah. have a relationship with God, um, to literally moving mountains and performing miracles in him yeah. and in our relationship for him to come to um, be someone who every single day wakes up and does his Bible study and prayer. Like, I will never discount that, you know, as our church says, prayer is not all we do, but it's the first thing we do. Mm -hmm. And so in my life, generally speaking, I remember to pray after I've tried everything else. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I will do it everything in my own power to change a situation um to no avail (laughs) i feel you (laughs) and then i'll be like fine god if you could work in here that would be great and then i feel tremendously hopeless not hopeless Mm -hmm. i feel tremendously helpless i feel like because i'm like i have nothing more i can do and i don't like that feeling right right welcome to me i'm gonna be upset but we'll get through it (laughs) Okay. Okay. <laughs> my question is, are there things that our listeners can do mm. to pair with prayer that are like actionable within their marriage to help, um, that intimacy with their husband? And oh, sure. yes, 
for, I mean, for sure I want to tap into like sex intimacy, but also just like intimacy in general. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so God. <laughs> I wish, well, yeah. <laughs> start with prayer. No, it's true. That is where we should start. And it's actually not even just a starting point. It should be the thread that weaves through the whole of the journey of even every actionable item of every day. The scripture says, pray without ceasing. And so again, for me, that's that conversational in my heart and my mind with the Holy Spirit day in and day out, like prayer. And we're all invited to that. Um, and wow, how powerfully that sets apart following Christ versus every other man-made religion and cult and ideology. We have a God who communes with us and actually speaks back. That's crazy and powerful. But I would say, yeah, I'll just list some actionable things that come to mind. Um, though I wish I had like organized this out. I may miss some, but. All right. I 100% went off script here because I, I said, you know, okay. and then I was like, I just want to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that is my style. Um, I would just say to, to the listener, um, <clears throat> there are many things I'm going to list the, the ones that are popping into my head. Um, so I think first and foremost, uh, is man, I read this in a Tim Keller book, uh, the meaning of marriage kind of right before we got married or early in marriage. Um, one thing he talked about that challenged my view of my husband in such an incredible way was he, he talked about, um, seeing our spouse in their perfected form. So seeing our spouse in the fullness, think about like the full, holy, right nature. This is who God made you to be fully activated in their gifts, in their talents, like their perfected form without stint, like who we were made in the garden to be. They said like, see your spouse in that way, love them in that way. And it will, it will grow such a heart of compassion for the areas that are not there yet. Or cause like there's a million in each of us. So <laughs> let's just be honest, self-reflective as well, but to, to see your spouse in their perfected form. Um, and then in the areas rather than always nagging them of who, um, how they could do better or more or, what they're lacking or struggling with. Um, we instead learn to celebrate them and their successes when we see, man, the character of God shine through them or um, a piece of who they were made to be just on display. Like we celebrate them. We are literally made as, as their helpmate, as their, their, their right hand, their encourager. And if we would start seeing our spouse from the vantage point, not of, well, Larry doesn't do blah, 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 but like Larry's incredible. It da, 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 da. And I need to tell them that I need to cheer them on. I need to remind him I need in my own heart. So as to release the seed of bitterness that often forms and resentment at all the things he's not yet. I need to see all the things he is and edify and encourage and champion those things on and intercede and man see my spouse in the form that god sees him in when he knit him together and, and designed him and 
um, that really helped me just at a very basic foundational piece to, to look at the man across from me differently and to love him well. I, I, I find that especially our husbands are, um, men, men want to be respected, you know, and to, to actually use even that language. And I respect you. The way that you were loving on our girls tonight when you put them down to bed was so beautiful, babe. And you came in from such a full day of work and immediately were by their side. I respect you so much, how you juggle these things, how you provide for us and are present with us. You know, like just the right language in building them up and encouraging them. I find like so often, especially with littles around the house, it's like he gets in the door and I'm like, here, like <laughs> hand him a human that's like naked and try, I'm just tapped out. Mm -hmm. Or I just start word vomiting all over him, everything of my own day. <laughs> like this was like, and it's so easy for us to get into these rhythms, but man, to see them in their perfected form, to step back and to, to think, how can I build him today? How can I encourage him? How can I see him? What did he go through today? What, what questions can I ask him that might really honor him to be able to share? You know, a very real thing in cultivation of intimacy is in truly seeing our spouse as a brother in Christ as one who God is working on and sanctifying and growing and building um, and championing them on in that. I would say also another, another actionable item is truly like a bunch of women are going to want to punch me right through this podcast thing, but um, actually submitting to our husbands, like actually trusting their leadership, actually not just like edifying them but then trying to control everything behind the scenes like we like to do but like actually entrusting them and even if we see like I don't know that looks like if we go that route it could take could be kind of disastrous like honoring them and letting them lead um is huge submit submitting to them like Submitir is the Latin word, I believe, for that. And it, it, it means like um, to, to, to come under on mission, like mm. submission. Mm -hmm. And we think of this word like that is so oppressive to say that the woman should submit. It's the very same way that the church is supposed to submit to Christ. The church is supposed to submit to the word. It is not so that we are uh, belittled and run over and oppressed. It is coming under and trusting because we are on mission for the mission of Christ. We submit, like we come under the mission mm -hmm. um, and it's for the edification, for the building, for like fruitful work to come. So true submission to our husband is not this like oppressive term. It is actually just honoring you're the leader of this household. You're the leader of this family. And that goes completely against my flesh that could, what does he say in the garden? Like, woman, you, you will come under man. It'll be like the greatest grievance we have. We will want to rule over him, but he will actually rule over us. And so to truly trust, to truly cheer on, to truly follow, to truly serve, like not just be served, but actually serve without the need for affirmation of every time we did that service thing. Like 
but to truly serve like we're on a family mission here and I trust you and you're leading and I love you and I'm you know encouraging you on and also I'm going to serve you I'm I'm going to have the meal ready for I'm going to care for our home I'm going to pour everything I have into these kids I'm going to physically serve you in intimacy in our you know in our privacy I'm going to actually live my life not like well, these were my dreams, my hopes, my thoughts, my life. And then I got married because that was a check off my list. And then I had kids because that was a check off my list. And it's still my life. But actually saying, oh, it's no longer my life. It's our life. And what does that look like to ask our husbands, hey, what do you see as the direction of our family? Like, what's our mission? What's our purpose as a family? Why do you think that God brought us together? And what, what are some dreams you have? You know, just like cultivating even conversations like that of shifting things from like my life and these all were checks that fit in to, oh, there's a new call. There's a new mission. There's a new purpose when we came together as one. And so let me honor him and letting him lead that. Let me champion him on and let me see what that does in the intimacy of our home in response. I, first of all, people are going to get a lot of it out of this podcast, but if people get nothing, I'm getting tons. This is great. (laughs) You're sermoning the word to me right now. Um, I have been really good at what you're talking about in seasons of our life. And I've been really Mm. bad at what you're talking about in seasons of our life. Girl, same. Yeah. So one thing that I remember when I was really consistent, so going back, we, we, this is pretty public. We're pretty open about it. Mm-hmm. We, um, we went through like a four year season in our relationship that was dismal. I mean, it was mm. the lowest of low of low. We literally lived in the same house. We didn't talk to each other. Um, wow. and that took a lot of growth. It has taken a lot of growth to get out of that. Mm-hmm. And he was really broken um and he would he would admit that too um and he has worked very hard on himself which is amazing to um to become the godly man in our family that he is Mm -hmm. and i remember in that time fortunately i had really great people to speak into me and mentors to speak into me to say like just stay steady and keep loving on him even when in my eyes it was like I'm not getting anything in return. I'm not, I'm not getting loved. Mm-hmm. And so they just told me to stay steady and stay steady and stay steady. So most of the time I actually did a really good job of that, even mm-hmm. when I couldn't see the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know the hard part of that is that it's long mm-hmm. and it's in, you have to endure it. And it's like, you can, and, and for the, the, whole, your, the whole time you're questioning, is this even working? Mm-hmm. And so I know, I know that a lot of women are going to go after this and they're going to um, c- commit to prayer and they're going to talk to God about these troubles and these, and these hardships that they're having. And they're going to love their husband well, and they're going to serve him for a few weeks. And then they're mm-hmm. going to get exhausted mm-hmm. and they're going to get, um, you know, as moms, especially we serve all day long. Yeah. And we think to ourselves, when is somebody going to serve me? And when you, when you don't fully trust that that's going to be on the back end, it's really hard. Yeah. Um, and I remember one time, you know, 
one of those mentors said to me, marriage is not a 50-50 and it's not 100-100, it is 100 and zero. Like you have to give it everything and expect yeah. nothing in return and anything that you get is just a bonus. Right. Wow. Um, but that's, and I, and I leaned on that a lot in that season, but that's just hard. It's just hard mm-hmm. to continue to stay steady and continue to put you in your best effort and exhaust yourself over that when um, there's not immediate, you know, microwave change. Right. Right. And so I'm, I'm just thinking towards that. And I'm thinking about sex specifically. Do you think there's something to be said about women um, speaking up to their own needs in sex and their own pleasure and prioritizing that with their husbands? Because I feel like a lot of the conversations that I have with people in my life, um, that they aren't excited about sex Mm -hmm. because they're not ever speaking up to their own pleasure within sex. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so the answer that I would probably go to in this area is less of the technical clinical surface level answer, which they're important and they're, they're great tools, but, um, there's a place I want to go. That's like a layer deeper. Um, but I would say first and foremost, it, it roots back again to what we discussed a minute ago of the importance of the cultivation of conversation. Um, the ability, yes, verbally in conversation to be able to find the words in honor and with tact, but with also clarity of, um, and finding the space of cultivating the conversation to let your spouse know um, what you're feeling, what you're navigating, what your needs are, what needs aren't being met, what is really going on. And I I, I think I would advise um, the wrong place to do that is in the midst of everything happening, like in, you know, I would say the the right place to cultivate that conversation is a very separate place from where offense could be taken or frustration could happen, or it's such a tender area. Like the, the, the marriage bed is a very tender area. It's, it's a holy area. Um, even if a lot of things feel very off or broken or confused, it's a very vulnerable place. And so probably the time to voice those things is in a separate setting, especially if you're really working on stuff, like really process, like this is my first time to cultivate this conversation. Make, make a meal for your husband or get a babysitter and say, let's go. I I would love to talk with you about a few things and let's go out for a meal, you know, whatever it may be. Cultivate a safe space, like that is um, able to be undistracted, neutral, comfortable and seek the Lord. How do I cultivate this conversation? Where do I start? How do I honor my husband through this? How do I speak life? How do I not throw punches and jab? How do I make sure this doesn't steer to the way of any resentment I'm feeling or frustration or 
confusion bubbling up when I don't ultimately get the response I want, you know, and it turns out like we have to really be in intimacy with the Holy Spirit and seeking God, please give me the words, like help me walk this rightly and honorably and navigate those conversations um, in that space, start them there and continue to allow conversation to be cultivated. Or I remember resources were so important, like Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. My husband and I read that uh, before we were married, actually. Um, over the phone, we were apart for a few months. Like digging through that together was so powerful. And we were able to kind of um, look back to that. Then when we were married and on, even still we'll be like, Is your, how's your love tank? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But there are great resources that maybe if the husband like shuts down the first conversation later on, there can be, Hey, I read this incredible article or this book really meant a lot. Continuing to, um, yes, not just stay silent and ashamed and broken, but to find with discernment and with courage, the, the space and the time and the ability to rightly facilitate, um, that conversation and come like prepared with the very things you want to sit. Don't like fly by the seat of your pants at the tension <laughs> of the moment. We get nervous. We don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Like, yeah, come, come I, I love this. Today. I love that because I think, um, I think women more so than men suffer from an unworthiness complex mm -hmm. and um, they can, a lot of times, at least what I've seen and what I've experienced too, is that, we can prioritize in situations like this, like that, that societal conversation that we were talking about that you have over wine with your girlfriends, that's very toxic. Right. This idea that it's just like, yeah, I just make sure that we have sex once a week or, or it's just like a get it over with type thing or it, things can turn toxic so quickly. So quickly. And, and just dis dishonoring, honestly. Dishonoring, like, 100%, yes. And, yeah. and sex, as we're talking about, was created to be a gift and to be pleasurable for both parties and to be right. honoring of both parties and to bring them together. Yeah. And I think so often in our society, um, that is forgotten and the woman just shows up to be there. Right, right. <laughs> Not to actually celebrate the 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 gift of it right yeah and i so this is also where i was mentioning earlier it would go like a layer deeper there is a lot of prophetic significance um to this as well in the way that um sexual intimacy really prophesies the gospel and prophesies the fullness of it of covenantial love we become covenantially espoused to another uh, to our husband, to our wife, or to the husband, to his wife. Um, same as we come into like the covenantial love of Christ. We come under the covenant of his blood, like that we are his bride and he the bridegroom when we come to belief. So then there is um, the, the, the coming together, like think of it as sort of the wedding, you're at the wedding, you exchange vows. And then there was this ebbing away. There was this removal to the to the honeymoon suite. Well, so too in our faith, there's this removal to the hidden place. Um, and it is where uh, Christ disrobes our fears, our idols, 
our struggles, our pain, like layer by layer. He's so kind, especially when we're brand new to belief, like to point out and pull off, Hey, this sin struggle, this is, this is going to go, you know, this fear that you're wrestling with, like he's so patient and honorable with us just as a bride or a groom is to his bride, just as, ideally, hopefully, the husband to the wife behind closed doors in the hidden place of intimacy. Um, and there is then again this coming together, this sanctification that we navigate with Christ where it's this, it's this giving and receiving. He asks us to, to give our fears, our, the sins we've held so tightly to, like the deep wounds that he's so kind to point out, he's like, hand it to me. Give over these things like our pride, our materialism, all this stuff. There's this giving. And then there's this beautiful receiving at the same time of where when the, the impure is handed over and by his blood, the grace covers it, there's a filling with more of himself. There's a, a reception of his spirit that the pride is replaced with selflessness, the fear is replaced with courage, that like go through the whole fruit of the spirit list. These are the things he gives us in our intimate exchange with him as well. And this sanctification process, it's like a wrestling match sometimes. It's really hard. (laughs) It is really hard. I'm talking about the faith angle right now. Like in our walk with Christ, when he points out something, that has always been our comfort thing. And he's like, I have more for you. I, I want you to surrender this. Sanctification's hard. Like, we don't want to. It's the tension of this wrestling match, but there's also this, this build, this, man, he's pointing out, I'm giving it over. I don't know. This is going to require crazy faith to believe that he'll provide X, Y, or Z. Like think of all the different seasons of your faith walk. And yet, there's this tension that builds that ultimately like climaxes for lack of a better word in the pouring out the faithfulness of God, the power of God, the love of God. When that breakthrough comes, when we have like been working out our salvation with fear and trembling, like the scripture says, when we've been sanctified, when we've moved through long enduring seasons of patience and perseverance and frustration and all these things. And like for you, when your husband came to belief, I'm sure there's this breakthrough of like, all of that was worth it. What? Mm-hmm. And the, the climactic release of the faithfulness of God is so important that we don't abort the process prior to getting there because it's that like climactic release of his glory where we experience the radical real like revelatory goodness of God and there is like energizing at the same as like oh that was exhausting like I gave everything in that prayerful pursuit of x y or z but also my soul is on fire because God you came through so this is what we see like in the spiritual intimacy with God and um, man so then we always return to that same posture, that rhythmic return to his ways, because they are good. Even if things are long enduring, long suffering, take a while. Man, there's always the goodness of God that pours out. 
And this is why it is so important we communicate rightly what we need from our spouse, where we're not just some object that's used and abused and we never have any space to say a word, but we realize, wait, if I take that posture, I'm actually believing uh, the enemy's model mm -hmm. for unity and for marriage, that I'm exposable and dispensable and just present. No, I'm going to believe that the power of the tongue carries like life and death lies in the power of the tongue. There's power in cultivating this and working hard for this and interceding for right natured intimacy. Like this is important to my marriage because if we, if we miss that, if we don't, if we don't pray that he'll give us the courage, the wisdom, the discernment to cultivate those conversations rightly, then we will actually over time gain a wrong view of God as well. That he calls us into this like sanctifying, long arc, enduring walk of faith, and he's gonna leave us unsatisfied. Like there's never gonna be the outpouring of his right. nature, his character. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So we start to actually get resentful to God. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that long, enduring prayer for my husband's salvation. Like, no, you're just gonna leave me high and dry. I'm not gonna give up this thing because you don't come through. Like, it's so important that in the physical, we pour all we have into seeing this cultivated rightly. Because in the rhythmic coming together with our spouse, the mutual satisfaction and the build ultimately that leads to the, the pleasure, the joy of coming together is the very thing that reminds us like, oh, this is the way God works on my heart as well. And when we know it with God, it's like, this is the way it's intended to be with my spouse as well. This is what unifies us, builds us, ultimately makes us one, that we are knowing um, there's real love fostered here. There's mutual honor and, and delight and care and provision and protection and safety and vulnerability. Like all of these things are very much on the table. Um, and when we get it right in one place, it help, like in our faith side, it helps us get it right on the physical side. When we get it right on the physical side, it helps us reorient our view of God's character and love for us on the faith side. So again, that goes like kind of deep and prophetic and is layered. But I would summarize all that in saying the importance of cultivating, of pressing into the word of God, figuring out what he has to say in spirit and in truth through his word, like interceding for our intimacy with our spouse, honoring our husband, respecting him, prioritizing right-natured intimacy. All of these things are so important and they're so worth investing in and they're so worth the long enduring road and not giving up, like the staying power of covenantal love, the fighting power of petitioning for the fullness of what God has for the marriage covenant. It's so worth it and it's work, but it ultimately helps the health of our understanding of God's love for us and the health of our understanding of how to love others. And there we've fulfilled the great commission. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor, love your brother, love your husband as yourself. And, um, 
man, if we can, if we can start to let him organize these things in our spirit and our hearts, it changes a lot, changes everything. We can truly both spiritually and physically be fruitful and multiply mm-hmm. and truly like bear good fruit, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I fully, fully believe that, like you said, if you can get things right with the hierarchy, right. Of mm-hmm. prioritizing God, prioritizing your husband, prioritizing your motherhood, and then everything else, your job, all that stuff. Yeah. If you can get things right with God and prior, prioritize with God and your relationship with him and your, your intimacy with him, mm-hmm. it'll translate to the intimacy with your husband so long as you come at it with intention. Right. And that, if you can get the int- intimacy part with your husband solid, Mm-hmm. And on a and on a on a strong foundation of of the Lord, mm-hmm. everything else that's like the stronghold of mm-hmm. this earthly relationship and and how we impact and how we <clears throat> bring on our children and how we um, glorify God Earthside. Mm-hmm. Like that's where it all stems from. Because if you can talk openly and honestly and comfortably with your husband about these topics like sex and intimacy and, um, and closeness and togetherness, Mm -hmm. that's gonna, that's gonna translate to every other area of conversation and of life and of, and of relationships and and everything. Yeah. Cause it, cause again, ultimately, and I think, I think we mentioned this at the beginning, it's in no way just a physical exchange in really working to get this right it transforms the heart. It, it, it shifts the way we love another and it shifts everything in how, how we receive and are received by another. Because there's different people listening who, you know, for whatever reason, there's an injury, there's a handicap to a spouse. There are a number of things. There was something that happened in childbirth that inhibits, like there, there's so many layers to so many different people's stories. So if anyone walked away from this simply thinking like, oh, okay, I guess this means I have to like have more sex with my husband to have a good marriage. No, it is ultimately speaking to the importance of in all layers of this marriage covenant, um, but especially in the heart level, vulnerability, intimacy, knowingness, like the Hebrew word is yada. It, it speaks to these layered, intimate knowing. Um, it changes our home. It changes our lives. It changes our energy stores. When, when the heart of another in its most vulnerable and naked form is drawn near to and loved and honored. Uh, it it changes. It saves our marriage. It changes our marriage. And yeah, if if the the ability is there for the physical piece to obviously be cultivated right and well and frequently, praise God and make it happen. Like that's that's the, the again this prophetic physical picture we we have. Um, but. Yeah, ultimately, it, it it's not just like, oh, we went from like kind of bland, you know, sex and marriage to great sex and marriage. Like, it's not just the physical. Right. It, it, 
we, we have to understand at the core, it is the deeper layers of all that that physical really reminds one another's hearts and spirits and um, all that it shifts in really laying ourselves bare before another, just as scripture says, we're to lay our soul bare before the Lord. Uh, it builds trust and it builds faith and it builds honor and it builds uh, right natured covenantial love. And that, that impacts every area of our life. That's awesome. Well, Mo, I, I want to wrap up because I know that we both have to wake up and, you know, mother. <laughs> it's 11 yep. an hour later there. Um, but I would be, I would, I would regret it if I didn't at least ask you this and for your take on this, sure. how, how can we show, how can we do better for our children? Mm. In cultivating this conversation and setting them up to be more prepared to enter into a marriage that worships through sex and, and glorifies God through sex and through the intimacy and the closeness and the, the, the strength of their marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, I love that question. Um, it truly begins, like scripture says, his mercies are new every morning. And it truly begins and beginning right now with our children, whatever season, whatever stage, seeking the Lord for discernment and how to approach it. But understanding that the topic and the conversation of sex and sexuality is just that. It's a conversation. It's an ongoing, engaged conversation of teaching and of understanding and of question asking and answering and of relationship. Like, it's so easy for us to understand like, oh, how do I lead my children in the faith? Like I start with the building block foundations and I rhythmically and frequently talk to them about the ways, the things, the truth of the Lord. Like we, we get it with faith. We build and cultivate conversation the whole life. There's not a one-time talk when a kid is 16 of let me tell you about this man named Jesus who you need to believe it. That would be so foolish. We would, if we're a believing household, we know it stays on our lips. Like we're always talking about, about Jesus. And um, the same can be said in, when it comes to the sexual conversation. First and foremost is navigating healing and wholeness. Like we've been talking about this whole time in our own hearts, in our own lives, in our own marriages. So much speaks for itself when it's truly known and just evident in our lives. You don't have to teach a child not to uh, beat a woman if he's never seen a woman beaten in his own home. He's seen the husband honor the wife, love her, celebrate her, delight in her. You don't have to like undo things that were never wrongly did, okay? So I would say it begins with healing, with wholeness in our own heart and lives and so much will reflect to our children. They absorb it like sponges, um, seeing mommy and daddy love one another well. And I, I mean that like tastefully and tactfully, like in honor in front of the children. Um, but I would say too, it's, it's like, I love it. It's like, people like intensely making out in the kitchen in front of their like three-year-old trying to eat cereal. They're like, mom, dad, like, I love a good little PDA, but let's also keep it tasteful in front of our children. But I heard, uh, I heard Kristen Bell say today on 
I think it was like an episode of mom's planning or something. She said, everyone needs something to talk about in therapy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's not send our kids to therapy in these, these areas. <laughs> but again, like letting our lives know it and live it, but also um, truly beginning to cultivate the conversation, not resolving to function like the culture that doesn't talk to our kids about it and hopes maybe the church does, but the church isn't talking to our kids and hoping maybe the family it. And so our kids are just looking at a sexually perverse, broken, distorted, honestly disgusting culture. I, this is, I say it because I grew up looking to it. Like it's unafraid to talk about it every minute of every day. Like there's a Purina cat food commercial that's over-sexualized in our culture. The average age of exposure to porn is nine. I mean, it's everywhere. The world is going to beat you to the punch in beginning to impress upon your, your children's ideas and understanding and constructed like assumptions of truth in these areas if you, as the parent, are not cultivating the right nature conversation, teaching and leading in truth, right where they are with discernment of what's appropriate for their age, their season. I mean, for us personally, it was way earlier than I ever thought. Like, <laughs> I remember my daughter was not even two. And we lived in a townhouse at the time and we, there was like a glass shower in our master bath. And anyone with children knows there's no such thing as privacy anymore when you have children. And so I remember my husband was showering and I think I was getting ready or something. And um, our daughter just like toddled in and he's like, you know, trying to be discreet, stay turn, like, but for whatever reason that day, she just like kind of took a vested interest. And she was really like trying to figure out what was she was seeing. And in there and even in just that moment it was like the holy spirit just dropped this clarity of there's two ways you can react right now you can freak oh no 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 don't look don't look come here come here come here baby come on like come away from that that's bad and immediately instill confusion and a shame and a disorientation with what is just natural in inquisitiveness of a child mm -hmm. um or you can guide her away, change her focus, you know, calmly, kindly, carefully, and begin to build the foundational blocks now. And I was like, but God, she's not even two. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. And it was really just honestly, this Holy Spirit led, teach her, like, just build the foundation. Let the conversation start now. And I remember I said to her something so simple, like, Oh goodness, isn't it amazing how God made daddy and mommy so different? Daddy's a boy. How incredible. Mommy's a girl. Hey, you look a lot like mommy. You're a girl too. So basic, right, so right, right. simple. But taking that moment as a teaching moment, beginning the conversation then, and it's progress. You know, she's four now. And so again, it's still pretty elementary, but different topics, different questions, different things will come up. And always trying to yield to the Holy Spirit of how do I cultivate this conversation carefully, tactfully, with discretion, but also in truth. And um, I hope, I pray in building those blocks and building upon them, we'll come to the seasons where 
things get more complicated and more layered and deeper. And it won't be strange or unfamiliar for my child to come to me to seek what right. the answer you know, for our children to come to us, for them to see the stuff being passed around on the phone on the school bus and not be impressed upon by that, but have some sense of discernment of, I don't, I don't want to look at that. I don't need to see that because in their heart of hearts, they understand that person on that screen is an image bearing creation of God because we've built that foundation. They understand that men and women carry value. They're not body parts made for our pleasure. They are image-bearing creation of someone's daughter, mother, son. Again, I could go on a whole tangent about this, but I really believe it, it has to start today. His mercies are new every morning and cultivating the conversation. It's not a sit down one time, the talk that everyone saw in American Pie when they were 17, like, so broken, so broken what our world propagates of the parent's role in leading our children in truth. The word of God says we speak of, of his ways, of his truths when we rise, when we lie down in our goings and our comings, as we walk along the way, like his, he's to always be on our minds, on our hearts, on our lips. And we are to be the stewards, the teachers of our children. And so I'm really passionate about I guess, encouraging everyone to press into the Holy Spirit and navigate, okay, then in the season my child's in, how do I begin if they're already, you know, X, Y, Z age, um, or if they're young, how, wherever they are, how do I first find the healing and the wholeness and the understanding in my own heart? And how do I begin to cultivate this safe, sure, solid place for them to come to, to learn? Um, and it's a big task. It's a big, it's really big. <laughs> like, it's a really big deal. Uh, and just like we petition for right natured intimacy in our marriage, we have to petition God for help in cultivating this rightly and teaching our children rightly um, in our parenting role as well. That's my big thing yeah. is I just feel like if it's always a conversation, then it's never going to be a thing. It's never going to be a, like a thing. It's never going to be taboo. Right. And then we can just right. have a conversation about it. And also our society is what has decided that it's strange. Right. Well, that it's perverse, especially. Right. Yeah. Our yeah. society makes the whole conversation so perverse feeling. It's why the church has been so quiet about it. It feels so taboo. It feels so like we've seen it so wrongly and carnally and for entertainment and for just in brokenness for so long that we somehow feel silenced and disqualified out of the conversation to reclaim the sanctity of sex for the glory of God, to speak about it rightly and with honor and with truth. And it's so warped how the enemy's done that. He's stolen the microphone and heaven forbid the, the, the Christians point to an unchanging word of God and say, I actually live in this model and I found a lot of healing and hope from it. People mm -hmm. are like, that's perverted. I'm like, what? I don't like things being stolen. I'm in the camp of like, put me on the front lines. I'll steal it back. Like, let's get it back. Yeah. So awesome. maybe I'll that be right looks, there with you. Heck yeah. yeah. Scary to some people, but I, I feel truly, and I, I know we can wrap on this, but 
I truly feel like from the brokenness that I knew, from the pain, from the confusion, from the perversion, like all the things I walked in, to come to know Jesus and to come to know the healing and the restoration and the dignity of his touch and the love and the compassion and the empowerment and the emboldening and the restoration, like when you've known darkness and you come into the light, why would you not want to bring everyone you know into the light? Mm. It's the urgency of the good news of the gospel. And the world's going to think you're crazy. We look completely different. The things we talk about and say are disorienting, even to the religious people, even to the church, like to the, to the ones, to those so hungry and so ashamed. Sometimes they just have to see someone else go first. And why would we like withhold the good news of the gospel? I literally got an HIV test a few weeks prior coming to know Jesus. Tell a girl who was in the college clinic that scared with that much reality right in front of her face, who then came to know this healing and restorative and redemptive and transformational love of Jesus. Tell her to be quiet about that. You can't. Like, (laughs) he changes everything. He changes everything. And why would we then feel like we're just called to walk through life coping? He, he came to set the captives free. His blood has the power to break the shame off of our life, the sin off of our life, the fear off of our life, the circumstances. He has the power to redefine all of those things by his spirit, by his love, by his grace. And so if, if he's faithful to do that, and I'm at least one living testament saying he's super faithful to do it, like, it's amazing, but it's hard, but it's holy. Like, if, if more voices would navigate that hard but holy work and then rise up, just like you're doing to say, let's cultivate this. Like, let's talk about this. Man, I think we would see revival, especially over the sexual brokenness of our culture. I think we would see some pretty powerful things. So that's that's where the heart beats behind it all. I love that. But the good news is you can go to (laughs) moisom.com. We have, I mean, not only is is there the book, but we actually, after releasing Sex and Jesus and the Conversations the Church Forgot, we listened to people for like a year of all the like main themed questions that were kind of rising to the surface and a lot of the stuff we've talked about. And we created this eight part video curriculum that is truly like content beyond just the book that someone could do on their own or in a small group or with their spouse or in a large group really um but it speaks into some of these very areas in really applicable and like practical truths very specific very like you said the practical um how to walk in this stuff. And it's totally free. It's just at moison.com. And I would encourage everyone to, to check it out and move through it. Um, if they're wanting to learn and grow in, in this area. And, yeah. And that's awesome. I actually, I, I had read sex Jesus in the conversation the church forgot. Um, it's actually right here on my desk, but oh, what a good looking book. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I hadn't done your eight week yeah, eight, the eight that, um, video course until yeah. 
I got you to agree to this podcast. And that's, that was like my study up. Like I need to refresh. Oh, yeah, there the we go. <laughs> hey, I need to refresh around the book. I wrote it like four years ago and then yeah, I get interviewed yeah. about it. I'm like, what did I say? I don't know. <laughs> well, I love it because you break it down. There's, there's specific topics. So like there's a whole video section on like sex with a marriage yeah, and the marital bedroom and, and, and that kind of thing. So um, yeah. there's also a whole section on like, um, like navigating sex while single and that whole conversation. Yeah. And um, it's, it's great. You laid it out wonderfully. And like you said, it's totally free, which is such a gift to everyone. Um, so Mo, thank you. Thank you times a million. I'm so grateful for this conversation. Yeah, no, this is a treat. I appreciate you reaching out and, and coordinating all of this and, um, and having me on. I hope that it blesses your listeners and um, just gives people stuff to, to chew on. I'm, I'm glad that you're cultivating the conversation too and willing and able, especially even to just say, we're learning. We're literally all learning. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm learning too. <laughs> but that's the, I think the beauty of his spirit in us is we can, all it takes is a few steps ahead with him to feel a fire in your bones, to reach back and to extend an arm to those who are a few steps behind, you know, or, or still in some of their struggles. So I'm, I'm glad that you're cultivating this stuff too. 